Hey, and welcome to Generation Changers Church Podcast. Let's get into this week's message with Pastor Barry Smith. It's been an awesome man month at GC Church. I'm really sad that this is the last Sunday we'll have all of this stuff up here because it's so really cool. I'm just telling you. All month long, we've been talking about real men, the men God has called and anointed us to be. Real men are not perfect. We are not women. Women are perfect. (laughs) At least mine is. I can speak for mine. Yes, she's my woman. I'm her man. That's the way we do stuff. Now, it is uh, men are not perfect. We are not women. We, we, We make mistakes. We have needs. We face insecurities. Because real men are human, we need grace. And because we sin, we need forgiveness. And because we need grace and forgiveness, real men need Jesus. Can I get an amen? Real men are under assault in this culture and under the attack of the enemy. Yet God calls men and says... Act like men. Be strong in the overcoming power of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we have um, last week learned the importance of a man's leadership. He shows up in love and leadership and in labor for his family. Think about that. 93% chance that if the man is the first one to know Jesus in the household, 93% chance the rest of the family will follow and know Jesus. That's how important it is for a man to show up. Today, we're going to talk about how real men finish strong. Our scripture reference dates back to the time when Rome was ruled by, listen at this insecure person, Nero, Claudius, Caesar, Augustus, Germanicus, and justice for all. Amen. Now, uh, he was so insecure, he had to have all those names to be bigger and better than everybody else. Now, if, if you know anything about his leadership, this man literally burned Rome to the ground so without the, the consent of the Senate and stuff, he could rebuild Rome the way he wanted to. Now, he burns it down and then blames the Christians for doing it. That really has a familiar ring to me. Burn down the country and blame the Christians. Might preach on that next week. Who knows? Yeah, it's patriotic week. So, uh, now, it's during this time that two great apostles are martyred, Peter and Paul. Peter, when he was faced with crucifixion, says one condition, crucify me upside down because he did not feel worthy to be crucified in the same manner as his Lord. Paul, too, was going to face death, but he was a Roman citizen. So he was protected from the brutality of the crucifixion. He got off easy. He was beheaded. (laughs) Now, it's pretty bad when the lesser of two is being beheaded. But this is what happened to Paul. Understand that it was most likely at Nero's orders himself, because Paul did testify in Rome. Now, this man was so brutal to Christians that he would put them in gladiator matches for which they were not trained or prepared. He would throw them to the lions, and he would often light his evening parties with the burning corpses of Christians that he had doused in all. These are the conditions under which Paul and Peter were martyred. And both of them sealed their testimony with their own blood. They are witnesses to the fact that real men finish strong. 
It was most likely Paul's last ever letter that he wrote, and he wrote it to his spiritual son, Timothy. We call it in the Bible, 2 Timothy. And he's encouraging Timothy to be faithful and fearless in his administration of ministry. And then Paul gives his eternal testimony with these words. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Paul said, I'm being poured out like a drink offering. Let me reference that for a moment. It's a reference to the Old Testament that often when an animal was sacrificed, wine and oil and, and grain would be poured on the altar, and together it would, rise, it would cause to rise a soothing aroma that they felt was pleasing to God. And the pouring out of the wine was only symbolic of the shed blood of Jesus that would come when he was crucified on the cross of Calvary. But the drink offering was an act of worship to God. Let me see if I can bring perspective to it. Paul lived for the glory of God. So he decided in his death he would also glorify God. That he would consider this final act would be an act of worship to God, that it would not be a testimony to the brutality of the culture, it would be a testimony to the Jesus who had risen and would receive him when he passed from this life. And then he gives us this great hope. As believers in Jesus, he says, the time of my departure is at hand. Noting that for the believer in Jesus, death is not a destination, but a departure. Where else do you see the word departure? I'll give you a hint. <laughs> it's like, uh, <laughs> at the airport, there are, three, there are three choices. Arriving, departing, delayed. <laughs> Especially at the Nashville airport. Delayed. Weather can pop up in a minute. Paul's saying, I'm getting ready to take my flight. See, they think they're getting ready to take my life, but no, they're not sending me to a destination. They're just helping me depart. And for every person that knows Jesus, death is not your destination. It is simply your departure time from this life to the next. For it was Paul himself who wrote, to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. And I'd rather be home with God, he says. Wow. Now, in this closing testimony, he literally reaches out to Timothy with this encouragement, but it's an encouragement to all real men we find in this three-part testimony. And let me give you the first encouragement. We are encouraged by Paul to fight the good fight. He wasn't painting a picture of a stress-free, easy journey. He was saying life has its battles. The Greek word fault means to engage in an, an intense struggle as an intense athletic struggle. Now listen, at my age and shape, any athletic interaction is an intense struggle. Don't laugh. You would be picked for my team too, okay? A lot of you. So, so there. Now, Pastor Blake's over there laughing right now. I'm going to see how long that lasts. And, uh, okay? Now, the good fight, watch this, uh, Kalos, which is the Greek word that means the outward display of the inward good. 
Paul says, I fought the good fight. There's good in me that stood up to every battle. And the Bible tells us there's none good but one, and that's the Father in heaven. So there must be someone good living in him. And the way to fight the good fight is to let the one who is good stand up inside of you in every battle. Are you hearing me? Paul says, the only thing good about me is Jesus, and he has showed up in every battle. Hallelujah. See, he didn't say, I fought a good fight. He said, I fought the good fight. That was a reference to his call as a soldier of the cross of Jesus Christ, the faith that he carried. But understand, in my opinion, what describes a good fight, and I believe the key to fighting a good fight is simply this, just keep answering the bell, okay? Now, sadly, some of you grew up in the era of boxing champion Mike Tyson. Mike Tyson. And... <laughs> And you think that you saw some good fights. And there was a couple like Evander Holyfield, Buster Douglas, a couple of those guys give him a fit. But usually there was nobody that could match his prowess in the ring. And so Mr. High Spender would spend a fortune, an obscene amount of money to impress some girl, take her down to the front row and watch him fight. Ding, ding, round one, 30 seconds, guy's head hits the mat, it's over. His whole night is blown. I guess I had to go to Denny's now after that. But understand, that was not a good fight. That wasn't even an even fight. I grew up with the greatest of all time. Float like a butterfly, sting like a bee, Muhammad Ali. And there were plenty. He faced people like George Foreman. Big George Foreman. Yeah, you thought he only made grills. I know. Ken Norton, who had the hardest punch, I believe, of any man alive at that particular time in his lifetime. But I remember a guy by the name of Smoking Joe Frazier. Anybody remember him? That's him right there. Look at him. He'd give Ollie a fit. Their fight would go to the final round, and both of them would be carried off to the hospital when it was done. That's a good fight. That's worth going to see. See, a good fight... It's where the men simply keep answering the bell. It's important that in between the rounds, a man goes to the corner and addresses his wounds and cleans his cuts. And it's important for every man to learn to take care of himself spiritually. It is important that we learn to withdraw from the battle, get alone with God, get healed up, get, get patched up. But listen, that doesn't mean that in a minute the bell's not going to sound again. And when it does, when you've gotten cleaned up and you've gotten healed up, guess what? When the bell rings off again, it's time to get up again and head to the ring because a good fight is one that goes the distance. As a child of God, the key to winning is not quitting. Just keep answering the bell. So the devil got the best of you in the last round. Guess what? He's done the same thing to me. So you got pretty bruised up and you don't know how the fight's going. Well, guess what? I've been there too. But it doesn't matter what happened in the last round. It's always the next round that's important. And I say in Jesus' name, come out from your corner with a new desire, a new drive, a new confidence, knowing that you've got another opportunity to fight another round. 
Just keep answering the bell. That's a good fight. It doesn't mean you win every round, but it means at the end, your hands will be raised because you answered every bell. The second thing he says is another athletic metaphor, and it encourages us to run the race, finish the race. Paul said, I've finished the race. The word finish, teleo, means to completely or to fully accomplish. The word race is dramos, which means, get this, something charted out like a course that you are to follow. Understand that when Paul says, I've finished the race, the first idea is this, God has a plan. All of us, like Paul, press toward the prize for the, for the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. We work toward eternity to obtain that eternal life that was given to us through the resurrected Lord. But along the way of our eternal pursuits is individual purpose. Every man, every person has a purpose over your life. There is a role that you are to play in God's eternal plan. Understand this, pulse equals purpose. Say that with me. Pulse equals purpose. So many times we think that our time is past. Our window of opportunity is over. Well, I beg to differ. Daniel was still being used by God at 90. Moses took leadership of the children of Israel at 80. The apostle John was writing the gospels and writing uh, prophetic letters in his old age. Abraham became a father at 100. Do I need to continue? Understand, pulse equals purpose. If God gives you a pulse, he's got a purpose in mind for you. <laughs> the challenge is for every man to die finished, not to finish before you die. Here's the key. His plan demands our passion. Often a man gets to what's called middle age, and we're not sure what that is because we none know how long we're going to live. And we used to say, well, he's gone middle-aged crazy. Anybody ever heard that phrase? Now it's a condition. It's a midlife crisis. Sounds better, doesn't it? No, he's gone middle-aged crazy. It's proven, okay? There's something that happens in the brain along that time for some men that they just don't recover. And listen, Satan begins to distract a man and turn his passions to other things. He wants the man to follow his earthly passions, pleasing himself, and, well, it never really turns out good for anyone. Many times we allow Satan to turn our passion from God's plan to ours, and before we know it, families are forgotten, careers are lost, and destinies are destroyed. Listen, men, this is a direct assault of the enemy against you to take you out of your God-ordained role as a leader in your family, in your church, and in the culture. At that middle age, we call it, is the prime age for leadership for a man. You're old enough to know better and still young enough to do something about it. See, you thought I was going to say old enough to know better and still too young to care, right? No. You're old enough to have gained some wisdom and young enough and have energy to help apply that wisdom in leadership in the culture. But if Satan takes you out in your midlife crisis, your prime opportunity for leadership passes you by. Hear me. 
It's at this point in a, a man's life that he should be a leader to everyone around him. But because our passions turn personal and not purposeful, our leadership is absent in the culture. His plan requires our passion. Let me give a word to the men in this room. Don't follow your passions. The heart is deceitful above all things. I got to follow my heart. Well, you'll follow your heart right into the ditch of the lowest common denominator of your character. Don't follow your passions. Channel your passion toward God's purpose for your life. Take your passion your energy, your effort, your time, everything that you can throw at it, throw it at God's purpose for your life and be the leader in your home, in your church, and in your community that God wants you to be. Can we get somebody to say amen in this room today? Now, the third Paul, example Paul gives us is this. He said, we are to keep the faith. That's what he said he did. I imagine his testimony was an encouragement to me to do the same thing. Paul says, I've kept the faith. I've fought the fight for faith. I've run the race for faith. But it's more than holding on to one's personal hope. When Paul met Jesus on the road to Damascus, he had a three-day period of blindness physically. During that time, God did a work within him, and he got up, was healed of that blindness, with a new charge, when he fell flat of his back on the road to Damascus, he said, what will you have me to do? And that became the defining statement of Paul's life. He was charged with the message and with the tenets of the faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. He was charged to carry the gospel to a lot of the known world, and he did so. Understand, when you see the phrase, the faith, in Scripture, it's not merely referring to you holding on to your personal beliefs or to the hope that God will do something in your life. It's talking about the full message and concept of the gospel of Jesus Christ that was handed down to him. That's why at Generation Changers Church, we believe in generational faith. It didn't start with us. It doesn't stop with us. That this belief that we have, this faith that we are a part of, was not, it did not begin in our own mind, our own heart, but there have been 66, some, somewhere along 66 generations from the person of Jesus Christ until now that that faith has been passed down through and we inherited that faith from those who came before us. And the charge is, first, that we preserve it. Now listen to me. Our job as real men of God is to preserve the purity of the gospel of Jesus Christ and not diluted nor polluted with personal opinion or cultural concepts. We are not here to change the Word of God to match the culture. We're here to be true to the Word of God. And we're here to be true to the God of the Word. We are to remain faithful to the faith we have received, making sure we properly steward the message and the tenets of teaching of and about Jesus Christ. One of the struggles we're having in the church today, listen to me, is that those who've been entrusted with the faith have compromised its principles and practices. And the result is a watered-down gospel producing a dumbed-down experience. Did I say that out loud? I tried to be nice. That's the best word I could find. We often live a version of dumbed-down Christianity. Here's what I mean. 
We reduce it to that which we can comprehend. We reduce it to that which we can accomplish. And the gospel is not what you can comprehend nor what you can accomplish. It is something that is incomprehensible that Christ has already accomplished for us. Come on, somebody. Because when you realize that a man 2,000 years ago died on a cross that you've never seen, but that blood that was shed was so perfect and pure that when it rose before the throne of God, it was accepted as the sacrifice for your sins. It is incomprehensible that that could happen. But guess what? Faith says it did. And it's not what I can accomplish for God. It's what God accomplished for me through Jesus Christ. That's the real faith. Paul was saying, I met Jesus, and since that moment, my life's been about Jesus. I've been faithful to his call and to his commission. Real men are not looking for ways around the truth. We are committed to be faithful to the truth, and that truth is Jesus Christ, him crucified, him resurrected, him glorified forever as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And let me tell you something, I will not back down on the message now. We will continue to preach Jesus with more fervor, with more anointing and with more heart than we ever have in the past because this culture is declining into apostasy. It's declining into atheism and agnosticism. Somebody's got to be true to the faith and shine the light of Jesus into the darkness of the world. Come on, church. We can't give up now. We need to preserve the faith given to us. And when we preserve it, the next step is we are to pass it along. There's another danger point a man reaches in his life. His kids are raised, maybe he's retired, and Satan says, that's it, you're done. And they listen. And they stop making their days count, and they start counting their days. And they stop living, they start existing. The song in their head, every morning is dum, dum, da dum, dum, da dum, da dum, da dum, dead man walking. because a man takes his value from his accomplishments, from his career and his success, and Satan lies to you and tells you that's the extent of your success. But I want you to understand something. (laughs) You're not done. (laughs) Paul, literally, (laughs) the guillotine's being prepared for him, and what's he doing? He's making deposits in the next generation. He's getting ready to depart, and the last thing on his mind are the deposits that he will leave. Let me give you a word from the Lord. Don't depart without making your deposits. Did you hear me? Don't depart without making every deposit you can into somebody's life concerning the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let me speak to our senior men just a moment. This is, well, let me read this scripture and then I'll speak to you. Second Timothy, let's go back to chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. He's talking to the same person. What you heard from me, keep it as a pattern of sound teaching. Keep the faith, Timothy. With faith and love in Christ Jesus, guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. Paul saw one more opportunity to make a deposit in the next generation. And this raises the challenge to all senior men. You have vital contributions for future generations. (laughs) 
the gray in your hair or the lack of it on your head is valuable. Your experience, your wisdom is desperately needed by that boy that can't get a job and get out of his mother's basement. What God has done in your life, young people in this culture desperately need to benefit from that. Don't let the gift of God's wisdom that he's placed in you leave with you. You know, they say you can't take it with you. And the old saying was, I've never seen a brink trucks following a hearse. We say you can't take your wealth with you, and it's okay to leave wealth to your children, to give them every advantage in life as possible. That's okay. But here's one thing you definitely don't want to take with you. Whatever deposits you were supposed to make in the lives of those around you, don't take those things with you. Leave it all on the table when you're gone. Die finished. Die emptied out. Whatever God has put in you to the last breath you draw, keep pouring it out. Somebody around you needs you. Are you hearing me? So if you're retired, you're not done. If your kids are raised, there's a bunch of other kids around here that need raising. If you think that you're done, you will begin to act like you're done. But if you'll realize that Again, that pulse equals purpose, and as long as God has you here, he plans to use you. It will get you up off of your easy chair and realize that the greatest moments of your life don't have to be behind you. They can be ahead of you as you deposit the faith in the lives of the people around you and watch that seed grow. <laughs> die finish, but don't finish before you die. <laughs> Let your last breath leave a deposit in the life of someone else. When it comes to the faith, preserve it and pass it. Defend it and deposit it. Because trust me, it's worth it. In the closing words, he says, Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. The word henceforth means that there will come in time a decisive moment. It is like saying the word finally. There is a crown, Stephanos, laid up for me. It is the reference that Timothy would readily understand. They grew up under Roman influence. In the Roman national games, just a lot like the Greeks. And people would go into a big arena. All kinds of witnesses, and a man would fight for his life. And everybody around him saw his struggle. And when he won, they would place either a crown or a garland on him, saying that this runner has won the race, or this wrestler has won the fight. And he says, Timothy, you'll live your life and everybody around you will watch your struggles. But fight the good fight. Finish the race. Keep the faith. And just like all those champions have been crowned and rewarded in front of all those who watch their struggle, God will one day, Jesus himself, the righteous judge, will give you the crown of righteousness. Now watch this. Go back to when he said, I fought the good fight, the inward good being manifest on the outside. 
the inward good, the righteousness of Christ in us is what will be rewarded with the crown of righteousness. Jesus will not be glorifying you. He will be glorifying himself and the gift that he placed within you that carried you through the struggle. And the only way there's good in you to fight the fight is because what Jesus did on the cross gave you the gift of righteousness. So the message is, hold on to your cross until you get your crown. Hold on to your cross till you get your crown. Keep believing and relying on the sacrificial, substitutionary, vicarious death of Jesus Christ that makes you righteous. Keep walking in that until he crowns that work for all eternity. You know, I believe the year was 1992 in the Olympics. Halfway through the 400-meter race, Derek Redmond felt his hamstrings snap. He collapsed and was devastated. Medical aid came to escort him off the track, but Redmond refused their help. And instead, instead, he insisted on finishing. It was at that moment that Derek's father pushed back through all the Olympic security and ran onto the track. He put his arm around his son and held him. And as Redmond wept, they walked together over the finish line. Listen to me, men. The race is long and the battle can be tough. We can experience moments of devastation where we feel like we cannot seem to go on. But when we have a Father who is willing to push through every earthly resistance and come to our aid, the good news is He can pick us up and He can carry us across the finish line. Real men, real men finish strong. I may have to hop the last few steps, but when I do, I'll lean on the one who broke through all the resistance of earth to come to my aid and help me across that line. I'm going to tell a quick story. It's not in the notes. Last week, you heard of my illustrious baseball career right over the center field fence. That was the best moment of my career. I only played baseball because I heard girls like guys in uniform. It's true. It's a God's truth. And I walked past the bleachers. What's that? Just. Now I make the ground shake if I do that. But boy, back then I was lean and thin. Well, I didn't know I needed glasses. I probably wouldn't have been talking to that one girl if I'd have had them. I don't know. But, but I needed glasses and couldn't see. I was playing right field as a result. They tried me out at shortstop, second base. I just kept barely missing. Had the athletic prowess, couldn't see the ball. And a lefty gets up. And he hits the ball into the lights. And I'm out there. I got it. I got it. I got it all right. Right square in the top of the forehead. That ball hit me. Left one of them red dots in the center of my forehead. You know what I'm talking about? I had two choices. Look dumb or play hurt. Guess what I did? <laughs> I should have won an Oscar. I hit the ground. Coach comes out and I'm thinking, what do you say? Is that you, Jesus? He saw that I was embarrassed. 
he knew I should have caught that ball and I did just with my forehead and the coach reached down and grabbed me by the arm and said get up Smith he slapped me on the back and said we still got a game to win I want to tell you something there's a lot of you men that have been trying hard you've been running the race and fighting the fight and like me laying on the ball field that day you've had things in your life that have embarrassed you You've had moments where you felt like the whole world has defined you by your worst moment. And you're laying there injured, not even wanting to get back up and get into the ball game. But I want you to know, your heavenly coach Jesus is making the trip to where you are today and he is picking you up and saying, hey, I know that didn't go too well, but get up. We've still got a game to win. We've still got a race to run. We've still got a fight to overcome. And if you get up, I'll help you the rest of the way. Come on, somebody. This is the Jesus that we're serving. This is the Lord that comes to our rescue. This is the one that says, come on, we can still win. Just focus on what's ahead of you. Forget about what's behind you and finish strong in Jesus' name. Who's coming? Jerry, come here, son. I want you to remain standing. I'm going to ask Pastor Jerry to give an invitation here today. Guys, I know what it's like to not only be laying on that ball field, but to be laying in bed at home and not feeling like getting up. Feeling like if I had one more day today like I had yesterday, it was going to finish me. I know what it's like to receive the encouragement of the Lord. So no matter how bad I'm embarrassed or no matter how bad I've blown it, he says, come on, the bell's ringing. Let's get up. I believe you can do better this round than you did last round. That's all because of Jesus. And son, I want you to invite those men that are in that place today to come down or whatever the Lord leads. But I want them leaving here with a new desire and confidence to answer the bell. Come on, if that's you today, guys, just join me at the front right now. Just, just step out of your seats. Don't think about it too much. Just come on. Just come on. It's okay. Just start making your way down front. It's okay. Come on. Ladies, too. Let's go. You need, a, you need God to pick you up. You need your father. You fell down. See, I don't know what your yesterday was like, but today is a new day. Today, we're going to get patched up, and we're going back into the fight. Amen. Come on, make your way down to the front. We'll give you just a few more minutes. Don't let this moment pass you by. This is your moment. This is why God brought you here today, was to pick you up. He's right here. He's waiting for you. He's waiting for you. Amen. Come on, church. Let's just join in prayer to our Heavenly Father. God, we thank you, Lord, today for your grace, for your mercy. Lord, I thank you, God, that, Lord, no matter what has happened in our lives, God, no matter what attack we've been under, Lord, no matter what mistakes we have made, God, you see us. You reach down to us right now, Lord, and you lift us up, God. And right now, Father, we give ourselves to you. Right now, just tell him, say, God, I give myself to you, Lord. God, I surrender. I lay it down, Lord. Patch me up, God. Go to work on me, Jesus. I'm yours. I'm your vessel. God, I'm who you've called me to be today. I commit today, Father, to let you do your work in my life. Do your work in my life, God. Work and speak to me, Jesus. 
Right now, heal my heart, God. Whatever it is I'm battling, whatever it is I'm struggling with, Jesus, whether it's self-worth, it's value, God, let, let us know today that we are loved by you. Right now, I feel the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is just patching people up right now. He's going to work. He's getting you ready to go back into the fight. Today is a new day. Holy Spirit, we ask you to move in the room. If you're at your seats today, just begin to talk to the Lord. Say, Lord, I need you to pick me up today. God, I can't do this without you. God, this life is too hard without you, Lord. I need your strength. Holy Spirit, I need you in my life. God, we surrender it all to you, Jesus. We sense your presence picking us up today, giving us new strength, new life. Lord, I pray for supernatural energy, supernatural energy in our lives, God, to infuse our spirits, to move through our souls and our minds and into our bodies right now. If you need physical healing, surrender that to him too. Say, God, I need help, Father. I can't do this. I give my all to you, Lord. We receive your grace and mercy over us today. Today is a new day. I'm getting up. I'm back in the fight in Jesus' name. And we gave God praise in this place, church. Come on. Come on. Come on. The Real Man Sermon Series has been a blessing. It's reminded our men that they're not perfect, but human but to armor up and face the battle. But not only that, to show up in love, leadership, and labor. And today we conclude this series by reminding men that they finish strong. So fight the good fight, finish the race, and keep the faith. And if you missed part of the sermon series, we wanna encourage you to go back and check out our YouTube channel. It's a great way to go deeper into the word of God, or you can listen on the go via our podcast on Spotify or Apple. And we wanna welcome all of those who have joined us today online, invite you to be part of our online campus by texting the word online to 615-488-7151. Let's do life together. And speaking of doing life together, we want to say, as always, thank you all so much for partnering with us as we reach the lost, make disciples, and meet needs. And if you felt led to give today, head over to our website at gcchurch.tv or simply text the word GIVE to the number below. As you go out this week, remember that you are blessed, deeply loved, and highly favored. And remember one last thing, God loves you, and so does GC Church. Thanks for joining us today at Generation Changers Church. If you haven't already, hit that subscribe button and leave us a review. It helps this podcast reach even more people. GC can now be your home church no matter where you live with GC Church Online. Watch weekly messages wherever you are with family and friends. Join our online family today by texting the word online to 615-488-7151. And let's do life together. If you would like more information, please visit gcchurch.tv. And special thanks to those who give generously to help us produce weekly content like this to reach the world with the message of Jesus. If you'd like to partner with us, you can give by clicking the link in the description or texting the word GIVE to 615-375-4286 or by going to gcchurch.tv and clicking the GIVE tab. God bless you and we'll see you next week.